So continuing on, only sound teaching and one obeying the principles and submitting to the spirit, the whole spirit, excuse me, can be mature. Yes, to be sound in teaching, able to discern between good and evil, and be led of the spirit in these areas. Okay? And that's what it takes. Uh -huh. Intellect alone doesn't prove nothing. We have many brilliant people who know the scriptures well in many areas, as most Christians do, but they don't know how to rightly handle it. It's all in their brain and their head. There's no application. But they think because they're smart, that makes them spiritual. And a lot of these denominational churches, they put the brilliant people in charge of things. The poor guy has just come to the Lord, the doctor, and all of a sudden they make him an elder. That's foolishness. He's a babe. He hasn't been tested by the Lord. God puts people under probation, and he deals with them and tests them for certain things. And it's not always what they know, okay? So a babe and novice given ministry is in danger as he will be puffed up with pride and self-importance, believing the lie that he's special. Uh -huh. And see, if he was spiritual, he'd catch that right away. He'd understand how the, the devil works. He'll either put you down and falsely accuse you or try to make you feel guilty about something that's been dealt with, or he'll puff you up and tell you how special you are and you're God's gift to everybody. And a novice cannot discern what's going on. And he gets puffed up because the flesh gets puffed up that way. Uh -huh. And then he has to be dealt with by God. And God puts down the proud and the arrogant. He deals with it, okay? So God doesn't recognize their maturity or their ministry because they aren't mature, okay? He will be judged as sinning and foolish, do foolish things. Remember the devil was once one of the highest, if not the highest, outside of the Godhead in heaven. He's called the covering cherub. His splendor was he was a light bearer. He revealed to all other angels a portion of God that they hadn't understood or saw. He was given a higher rank. Didn't say that God loved him more than any other angel. He was given different authority, and he was to express things that God would express through him, and the other angels could see this and learn. Uh -huh. But something happened to him. We don't know all the ramifications, but eventually he got puffed up in pride and self-importance, and he began to believe he was so special, and he wasn't and began to think he was the light and wanted to be a god. He said, I will set my throne on the side of the north. That's where God dwells. He basically saying, I'll be equal to God. He got puffed up. He looked at being the light bearer. All of a sudden, it's me. And I wonderful. And when he was finally tested, and the third the angels were cast out, he instantly... Jesus said, I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven. That's how quick it was. And when he fell, all holiness and godly things were removed from him immediately. 
And he was no longer the light bearer. He was the prince of darkness. And there he abides now. No place for repentance. No goodness. Totally. We as humans have a hard time understanding angels that never sin and always do the will of God. And we don't understand how demons can be so wicked. And they're fixed in that because God removed it all from them because of their sin. They were tested. And we're not told all of the how it was done or how long it went on, but one third of them fell with the devil. Okay. So he was the highest, like I say, of the created beings. So what is he telling us? Independence. People think independence is wonderful. It was the first sin, basically. Pride and independence. I will, he said five times what I'm going to do. He did not say the Lord's leading me or this is what the Father or Jehovah's telling me to do. He said, I'm going to do this. He became independent. He wanted to be like another God. And during this testing period, God never corrected him. He waited for him to work these things out. And somehow he, because it went on and he got away with it, he may have thought, oh, then I'm going to be a god. Well, evidently because of the wisdom. said he was perfect in wisdom the day he was created. But it said he corrupted his wisdom. He's held responsible. He was the first sinner. Wasn't Adam. Adam was the, and Eve were the sinners of the human race. No. The devil sinned when he became independent of God and wanted to act and take the glory of God and take credit for what God does. And everything he had was a gift the day he was created. He didn't earn anything. He was created in that high position. But he didn't remain some, okay? So it was the fall. Meekness and humility for the Christian is to be understanding that everything comes from Christ our strength, our being is of him. It's the treasure. We possess the treasure, which is Christ. And then he moves through us and we bear fruit and spiritual works. We're responsible for that. But we cannot do these things without the spirit of Christ and the Holy Spirit. But we do do these things. So we're not to have a false humility. Oh, I didn't do nothing. It's all God. Well, then you're lying because you can't bear fruit unless you yield to Christ. The branches bear fruit, not the vine. The branches and the vine produce fruit. They don't do it separately. So that's why man is held accountable. That's why Christians are held accountable for the authority they're given. They're responsible for what they do with God gives them because he doesn't overwhelm he doesn't rule them like robots or parrots. They have choices, and he guides, but a man can disobey. He has the ability. He has a will, a choice. So he can continue with the Lord, as the Scripture says, continue in the faith, continue in God's grace, continue in the fear of the Lord. Paul said those things, because if you don't continue in them, you fall away and you're damned. You're twice dead. And Peter said, it's better that you'd never known the Lord if you depart from him, okay? Because you'll come under greater judgments. Okay. 
So humility. The Bible said Moses was the meekest man on earth at the time he was living. It didn't say he was weak. Meekness is you recognize your dependency on God, the strong one. You recognize uh, that if he leads you or commands you to do something, that he gives you grace, that you can do it, but you have to put forth your own effort and yield to him. Uh, but he was called the meekest man on earth. And that's why, to a degree, Aaron and his sister came against him over a family matter and tried to correct him because he was the youngest. And Miriam and Aaron didn't like he married this Ethiopian, and she, they were correcting him. And God came on the scene, and he told them, he said, well, how come you weren't afraid to speak against him? He's my leader. Who are you? And he struck Miriam of leprosy for being out of order, and he rebuked Aaron. So in a family matter, they could have privately asked things and, and shared their opinion, but they did this in official capacity. Miriam got her brother, the high priest, and he'll listen, and I'm his oldest sister, and after all, I'm a prophetess. Well, she sang under inspiration. Didn't mean she was an official prophet. And the Lord showed you what he thought. And that's when he comes up to that scripture. If there's any among you that's a prophet, he said, I, the Lord, will reveal myself in visions and speak to him in dreams. See, they thought, Aaron and Miriam thought they were prophets. Uh-huh. And he said, but not so with Moses, whom I speak face to face. Then he looked at him and said, were you not afraid to speak against him? And she was struck with leprosy for seven days. And God said something else to Moses. He said, had you gone up to her and spit in her face, he meant humiliated her. She would have been clean. I would have had to struck her. Because he was so meek, he listened to this. And instead of exercising his authority, he didn't say nothing. In this case, he should have said something because he was the father, the spiritual guide of Israel. So God, in a sense, rebuked Moses for not using his authority. So he took it upon himself. He said, all you had to do was spit in her face. He meant humiliate her. Tell her to go home and mind her household business and stay out of mind. That's what he had to do. Okay. So we understand he fell, the devil, and became prince of darkness. And therefore, God does not want novices and babes having authority in the church. They're not fit for it, and they will come under a stricter judgment. And that happens to many. They think they're qualified. Oh, they want to teach. You know why they want to teach. I've, I've been around them for years. I used to work in a ministry and many of them. Most of them weren't fit to teach. Or be a, they puff up like a balloon, their pride. They love the attention. Oh, I want to glorify God. I want to say you're a liar. You want to glorify yourself. You just want to use God in the process. And there'll be people that nobody likes. They don't have no good personality. So they want to be a teacher. So everybody will admire them. Because otherwise, they don't have no personality. Uh -huh. They use it to gain money, influence. That's why they want to be elders and teachers. That's why they want a big ministry. Oh, I've heard people say, well, I want a huge ministry. Of course you do, because you're still of the flesh. You've not matured. If you're a called teacher, you will teach whether it's one person or 1,000 people, and you will not alter your message. And if you do, you've become a false teacher 
false to God, even if you're teaching sound doctrine. So a lot of people aren't fit because they haven't dealt with their pride and their insecurity. And what's the other word? I can't think of it now. But they're not mature even in the world, and they want to use the church and God to get attention because they don't understand spiritual things. Okay? Number seven. And he, this a person that wants to be a shepherd and overseer, he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, the unbelievers, so that he will not fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. So he must be overall have a reputation of being a good person. Even if the non-Christians lie about him at times, they recognize when people are trying to do good, good citizens, we recognize that a lot of good citizens are just not Christians, but they they maintain themselves well, and outwardly they show a better light than many Christians do, okay? So he said outwardly overall, they're evil. If people speak of them, it's to be falsely. It's not to be true. He must not be a drunk, a liar, or a thief, and then try to shepherd people. The world looks at that and says, oh, what a hypocrite. Jesus told the Old Testament, too. He said the Gentiles blaspheme God because of the way the Pharisees and the priests lived. He said they didn't want that religion. Instead of being a light to the Gentile world, as the Old Testament was supposed to be, but they never accomplished that, they made the world despise them and despised their God. And they thought they were better, and everybody else was a dog and wasn't worthy of our fellowship. But so they were. You can see why God judged them eventually and destroyed their nation and their temple. He bore with them a long time, then he had enough. But he said, the Gentiles blaspheme God because of you. Well, God held that and remembered that with these people, okay? They didn't get away with nothing. So they can't be a drunk, a thief, a liar, an argumentative person who loves to fight with people and stir up trouble. The world recognizes, though. He must not be greedy and self-indulgent person. Well, that does away with many of the faith and prosperity people, doesn't it? Uh-huh. But he's known to help people, and if he has things and God gifts him, He uses it for ministry and helping people. He doesn't squander it all on himself and luxury. He can use things within moderation. But when a person's bragging, and there's some today, and one of them thinks he's a spirit-filled Christian, and he's 80 years old, 80-some years old, and he's got almost a billion dollars, and when he dies with that, you think something, uh, he's going to get blessed? If a Christian dies with millions and billions of something wrong with him. He don't know God's word of helping the saints and the body of Christ. And then he's self-indulgent. And he trusted his money because he won't let go of it. I'm like, come on, after a few hundred million, you would think you'd get satisfied. But greedy people are never satisfied. It's a part of their nature. Now, there are many people who are poor and they have just as much pride as the rich. They just don't have it. But God judges them the motive the same. They're not humble. They want to be like those people. That's why they give them their money and tithe to them. 
because they keep being promised that it'll be restored a hundred times in this world. Listen to them. You'll see they'll make merchandise of you, Paul said. Yeah. They'll give you the best cutesy sermon so they can twist you to give them more money. Oh, and God will bless you by helping his, the godly shepherds. Yeah. He's going to bless them all right. They can find out what kind of blessing they're going to get at the end. So it has to be basically a good-natured person. Otherwise, the devil will make sure that his hypocrisy is seen among the world. He loves nothing better than to expose them false Christians. And Christians, when they fall into sin and stuff, he finds nothing better to ruining their reputations. When a Christian falls and does something that's bad, it's like Proverbs says, it's like a finding a fly and a bottle of perfume. Oh, you love that perfume, and, I, and all of a sudden you see a bug in there. Some women would throw it out. That's, well, some of them just wouldn't tell nobody, and they would use it anyway. But that's what it means. A person has a reputation for wisdom, then every now and then he does something stupid. It's a reproach against him, and sometimes the sinner does not forgive or forget, so it can affect him later. We say and slander and do something out of out of character, that can go on forever. That person never has to forgive you. God forgives, but you reap the consequences. The world don't have to, and they'll be judged accordingly. But see, that's why the shepherd's character was to be above reproach and make sure he doesn't do something whereby he says he's a shepherd. He's supposed to be godly. What, what's wrong with him? Okay, three. Deacons, okay. Deacons are likewise, similar to the overseer, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued. We could say double-minded, too. Not addicted to much wine that follows it, and not fond of money and gain, not coveting. Well, that excludes a lot of people, don't it? You know, when you think about that. Deacons were those in service in various ministries. They were not public teachers or overseers. They did not have authority over the local church, but they often did and helped with the everyday work of the local church, the giving, the helping, uh, visiting the sick. They and others could get together and do more than one person, but that became a ministry for them to do. All Christians should be doing that at various times when they're put in that position. So deacons were to be mature Christians. They must be able to teach the Word of God one-on-one. -on -one. They must know the doctrines or the teachings of Christianity. Yet they're not public teachers, and they don't have a bunch of people under their authority. They don't have nobody outside their home under their authority. But they still have to be mature. But they may not feel led to be teachers or gifted. And God does gift. He gives people, all mature Christians can teach one-on-one. -on -one, but certain higher teachings, he has to grace them and call them. Uh -huh. And many of them you can tell or not. I've noticed over the years, many of the so-called Sunday school teachers, and they follow these pamphlets. Well, you can have a parrot do that. You don't need him. You could put it on tape and say, we don't need teachers. And that's what a lot of them do. 
And that's why they're not sound. And that's why they're not sound Christians. A teacher, a mature Christian, is led of the Spirit. He can use things, but they don't control him. They don't tell him exactly how to teach. That's not their job. But many denominations, they want to do that. They don't care what you just follow the book and the church ordinance. And you do that and you'll end up in hell. That's what'll happen to you, especially if you want to be a public teacher and take that upon yourself. Okay. So the fivefold ministries, you know, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers, they are foremost teachers. You cannot be these others without being a called teacher. So God has to not only, you meet qualifications, he has to approve you and gift you for various levels. Uh And all of them. Saying, I remember for years, I forget it now and then, but when you take your hand, your thumb can represent the apostle. It has control over all other fingers. It's the strongest. It can do anything under him. It can do the prophet's work, the evangelist's work, when necessary. The forefinger is the pointer. That's the prophet. He accuses and instructs and rebukes. That's his ministry. The longest finger is the evangelist. He reaches out to the world and gives the gospel. The ring finger, he's married to the church. He's the shepherd, the pastor of the church. But the baby finger is the teacher. But when you lay your hand down, all the other ministries rest on him being a teacher. They cannot be what they are until they're a teacher. Yeah. So at the least, they have to be a teacher. And they have to be a good teacher if they're an apostle or prophet. Okay. So no one can choose to be an apostle or a prophet, evangelist. God calls for that. But the ones he calls, they have to be teachers. They have to be able to teach or he does not call them. Okay. So that's how it works. So deacons must be dignified, held in respectability, not a double talker, not double-minded. He, like the overseers, must not be given to drinking wine. He must never be found to be drunk. Okay. He must not be interested in money and gaining money and being preoccupied with materialism and the money of this world. Contentment is the foundation for all mature Christians. Godliness with contentment, Paul said, is the great gain. He said, for you came into the world with nothing, and you'll leave the world with nothing. It's what you do with the Lord and how you live before him. That's what he's going to count. These other things can be distractions if they're not used properly. That's why Paul, and I've said it many times, six or seven times, he talks about money and what happens. He never says much good about it. He said, if you're rich as a Christian, he said, be rich in good works. And then he said, you didn't desire to be rich. He's talking to Christians. You fall into many hurtful lusts that drown men in hell. He was warning them. He was saying most Christians have no business being rich. It caused them to fall. They'd get caught up in the world and its power and what money can do. So he's saying, you that would be. He's simply saying, I warn you not to be. But you that are, 
you better be rich in good works. So he's saying, whatever you have before and when you come to the Lord belongs to the Lord. And you better be a good steward of what you have because everything you are and you have, you're a slave of the Lord. And everything is you're going to be held accountable for. He allows people moderation, but he does not allow these extreme forms of selfishness. Okay? So he's not to be tied to the world. He's to seek spiritual things. Go to Colossians. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If then you are raised with Christ, you've been born again, you're regenerated. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is. Uh He means spiritual things. Our Father, which art in heaven. That's where he comes from and speaks from in the most clear voice. He says, how will it be his name? Feared is to be his name and reverenced. Okay? So if you are in Christ, Christ is in heaven because Christ is with the Godhead now. Okay? He's the word of God. He's the almighty God. He's the Prince of Peace. Okay? And he says what? He said, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. He's accomplished everything. Our salvation, our deliverance, our teaching. He said, it's finished, and he did it. And now he's acting as intercessor. He's standing at the right hand. It's just describing his work now. But all the other things he finished. And he sat down and all authority is given to him. Okay, Set your mind on things above and not on the things of the earth. So people who are caught up into prosperity and things and materialism and entertainments and all of that takes priority, it shows you something about who they are. They're not spiritual. And if they're a Christian, they won't stay a Christian long. They're carnal. And even Paul said, you're carnal. I couldn't speak to you as spiritual. When he kissed carnal there, he didn't mean gross sins. He means you're acting in a worldly manner. You have no spirituality. You like Paul better than you do Peter. And you like John better. You have preferences which are not spiritual. That's what he's saying. You're not mature enough to know that a person's called. Nothing else matters. You don't look at their personality or how nice they are to you. You're able to judge these things. And that's what he expects out of mature beings. Okay. Now, moving on, before going on, back to all the mature Christians being able to teach. I never forget to talk about James because he's so smart. Remember, James was the half-brother of Jesus. He taught a lot on the mouth and the tongue. And people say because he probably gave Jesus a hard time when he was growing up. And he probably said things. And he probably thought, how come he's always perfect? And he probably resented it. So when he, the Lord appeared to him and called him between the resurrection and the ascension, he called him. And evidently, he was a godly man under the law. Eventually, he was the bishop of Jerusalem. Even Peter was a little scared of him. Peter was the foremost of the preachers and the speakers when the elders, but James was an administrator. And anytime Peter did something questionable or something new, he sent the message to James. Isn't that interesting? And James always had the last word. They used to say back in the 
first few hundred years that a bishop speaks last. Like the high priest in the Sanhedrin, they let him debate and all this, but he gave the last word on the subject. Okay, so James must have known a lot about the tongue. Okay, so he said uh, that not many of you, he's talking to Christians, should be teachers. Okay, now he's not talking about teaching one on one and being mature, he's talking about public teachers, public Christian teachers. Okay, for he states what they will get a stricter judgment from the Lord if we are not sound, if you don't teach sound doctrine. And what's the truth? With the higher calling comes greater stewardship and greater punishment if it is not done well. See, stewardship and responsibility. Everything people do, God takes a record of. And in the day of judgments, the wicked and the good is to be called up. Everything. And rewards and punishments are going to be given out. Okay, so he did say in the next chapter, which again was not in scripture, after he talks about a various foolishness, he said, let many of you become teachers. He said, because why? Because they were teaching faith alone. Have you ever heard that one? They were teaching mental belief without first there being fruit, spiritual works, and obedience to Christ. Isn't that a popular one? Or once saved, always saved. It's all grace. James would say, you have no business teaching. And he called them fools. He said, you're fools. And he starts off earlier, he said, oh, you have Christian faith. Do you believe in Christ? He said, yet you see your brother in dire need and you don't help him. And you say, be blessed, you know, exercise in the word of faith, like the prosperity people say, you speak the word of faith. He said, but you don't give them nothing or help them. He said, can this kind of faith save you? He meant, can this kind of Christianity get you to heaven? And it was a rhetorical question. No. See, because there was no follow-up. See, you couldn't prove your faith. Mental assent and verbal acknowledgement is not real faith. It's a part. Yes, you have to confess Jesus as Lord, but you have to obey him. People have to obey the Lord. Hebrews says that he was made a high priest and he's now standing and praying for us. And it also says he's the author of everything. And the scripture says, to those who obey him. It doesn't say believe him. Or to all those who obey him. See, he was in perfect harmony with James. You can talk all the faith and Christianity you want. You don't have the works, the fruit and the obedience to Christ, you're going to hell. You're a false Christian, and that's what most Christians are of the world. They're false. And Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. You workers of lawlessness, you weren't under the law of Christ. You didn't obey the Spirit and do good and follow him. You were lawless. You did as you pleased. You had religion on your terms, and you thought God was going to rubber stamp it you're going to find out different at the day of judgment. So why did he say not many of you become teachers? Because three times he says, faith without works is dead. And then we have all the major false denominations saying it's faith alone. You don't find that in scripture. There's heresies teaching that. Nowhere does it say, but it does say you have to have works or you don't have no, isn't that funny? 
If you don't have the works, you don't have the faith. You can claim all the faith you want, but if you don't have the fruit and the works and the obedience, it's dead. And that's what James said. Faith without works is dead. He's talking about spiritual works. He ain't talking about Catholicism and ritual and human efforts of pharisaical good works. No, he's talking about bearing fruit and being led of the Lord. And he said, if you don't have that kind of works, you don't have the real faith, okay? So many of them did. They uh, believed they were saved alone, like the Nicolaitans believed that they could live immoral lives because they were saved and their spirit. Don't that sound familiar? Sounds like a part of the once saved, always saved. Sounds like a little eternal security there. Well, that didn't begin in the last under Luther and Calvin. It began back there uh, when Jesus and Paul were ministering, okay? <laughs> and so what did he say? He said, faith and mental belief without fruit, spiritual works, and obedience to Christ is dead. And many times, as we've said, the masses of professing Christians are dead. They've never been saved, and they never will be, most of them, and they will die, and the Lord will say, I never knew you, and he'll cast them into the lake of fire. Never knew you. That is, you were never mine. You were never a person to obey the Lord, no matter what you believe mentally, but you say, Lord, Lord. So you must believe. And Jesus would say, but you know something? The devil believes that. He knows I'm the Lord. I'm just not his Lord. And he knows one day all the demons he'll cast into the lake of fire. And they're afraid of this. And so he knows these things. The devil knows these things. Uh-huh. But it don't save him, does it? And he knows he's the Lord of glory. And when the devils came and Jesus has cast them out, the disciples didn't clearly understand who he was at that time. And the demons spoke out through the possessed and said, oh, we know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Have you come to torment us before the time? Well, those Jews understood what he was saying if they were listening. You're the Holy One of Israel. That was Jehovah. And have you come to throw us into hell? before the proper, proper time. They knew that one day their punishments could be cast, and they thought, and it may have been possible, Jesus may have made an example of them and cast them right, and they were terrorized of that. Uh-huh. And he told them, be quiet. He didn't want them giving testimony to who he was. <laughs> he wanted the Holy Spirit to open their understanding. And one day, Jesus talking to them all, and he said, well, who do men say that I am? And they say, you're Elijah, you're one of the prophets. And the Lord said to Peter but, and the others, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living. And he said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. He was saying, even I didn't reveal this. The spirit showed you that. And he said, and on that statement, I'll build my church and I'll use Peter. But he didn't give that exclusively to Peter. Peter was not a pope. And before John died, 90-some years later, or in 95 AD, there were five recognized popes by the Catholic Church. Isn't that fascinating? He's a foundation apostle, and they appointed popes. Yeah. Come on. People are looking at that. how stupid it is. Okay. Again, he's saying, 
if you don't have the fruit with it, you don't have the goods. You have to have it. Faith alone is dead without works. And he said in verse 2020, you foolish ones, teaching faith without works, he said, it's, it's dead. And that's why I was saying you shouldn't be teachers. If that's what you believe, don't you teach publicly. Shoot, you don't even know the scripture privately, you know what I mean? So often the Calvinistic, the Lutherans, I call them lies, a lot of their doctrines from way back, they hate this verse. And the Catholics, they hate it, but they're idolaters, they're not even nowhere near. And James makes this so plain, boy, they do everything to skirt this scripture. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, you find no scripture that says you're saved by faith alone. You can twist certain scripture, but you'll never see it plainly saying you're saved by faith and grace alone. Uh huh. But you will find that if you don't have works, you ain't got faith, and that you'll be justified by your works because your works will prove you have the faith. Your faith will not prove whether you have the works or not. So that's why the branches bear fruit. And when they cease bearing fruit, the father cuts them off for to be burned. See, when they stop relying on Christ, the vine, and his life, he has no more use for them. They're of the world again. They're dead. And he cuts them off from the vine. Okay? They have to bear fruit, spiritual likeness, spiritual leaning toward the Lord, serving the Lord, being his servant and bondservant, and doing the will being led of the Spirit. That's what he's talking about. That's why James says, not many of you should be teachers. Because you're teaching foolish lies, is what he's thinking. You're not sound in teaching. So see, you should never be an overseer, an elder. You're still on milk, or you're not even saved. So we say it again. Paul is in perfect agreement but we will stop now. But in the last statement, Paul called it obeying righteousness. That's the spiritual works. Let's close now. Lord, in Jesus' name, give us wisdom to rightly handle your word, to put it in its proper place, to be able to refute the false teachers. Give us grace in Jesus' name. Amen.